Brian, I have been looking forward to this for months. But nine years, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Nine years. Almost. Yeah. It's it's so wild that, you know, it's been almost a decade. And the world has changed like three times over. Yeah, we should probably let the audience in on what, what I'm what we're talking about. But <laughs> nine years ago I hosted what Dan Kennedy called the event of the decade. Now that's the last decade. But yes. the event of last decade, the Titans of Direct Response, and you were there as a young buck. Um, you're still a young buck, but Thank you know, it's a young, a young, enthusiastic marketer, and and uh, uh, I'll say not just a thought leader, but a results leader. And you were, and you actually gave a testimonial for the event. Um, and I think you know a lot of people use that event as sort of a, as a marker for their career as well. And I get you can too, because, you know, after that you ended up working with some of the speakers, including Jay Abraham. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if you knew of Jay Abraham, probably knew of him before Titans of Direct Response in 2014, but you got to work with him. You, know, yeah. you, you mentioned before we hit record that you've worked with him. So um, it was a, it was an amazing event. It, it launched my second career, which we can talk about, but that's where I met you. And, you know, I, and you did a testimonial. So you've been in my face for nine years. Every time I go to that, <laughs> the site for Titans of Direct Response, where we sell the videos from the event still. And there you are giving a testimonial. And so, you know, Mark Aarons has been a part of my life for the last nine years, even though we don't talk to each other regularly or whatever. And then you were able to, you were connected to someone in my Titans Accelerator Mastermind who then said, Brian, you have to meet Mark Aarons. I said, I know Mark Aarons. Um, I know him better than you do. This is from uh, Hungarian, the Hungarian uh, secret weapon in copyright, Chaba Vorzazi, who uh, told me that I need to meet Mark Aarons. And here I am saying, I knew Mark Aarons before you were born, Chaba. You know, not. Um, and so that was nine years ago uh, at the Titans of Direct Response. And we are we are thinking about. I'm looking to do a 10 year anniversary big event. Yeah. Oh, cool. Probably partnering with Perry Marshall, who was one of the speakers. Yeah. Um, I partnered on the first one with Dan Kennedy, but I think I want to. Dan Kennedy sometimes is a little too high maintenance, um, and I don't say that critically. It's just that he is. You know, you have to get a private jet. You can only fax him if you want to make plans with him. Whatever. And I don't think I have the patience for all of that this time. I had mm -hmm. the patience for it in 2014, um, but I'm, I've grown up in the last 10 years, and uh, now now I'm a grown up almost. So what I'll say is uh, I am honored um, by that very 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 kind uh, walk down you know memory lane, and I also want to say that yes, you're absolutely right. Times of direct response was a mile marker, and I remember just how much things changed after that event and also why you have been coming up in my mind all these years as well and how many times I would bring you up in conversation and in what context. I'll share that with you in just a bit. But before we do, for the person who's listening in who has no idea who you are. And who the hell is this guy, right? Yeah, how would you describe? So I've had... I, I've been in I've been in direct response marketing for over forty years. If you haven't heard of me, that's fine. 
Um, not that you've been asleep for 40 years. I might have been asleep for 40 years. Who knows? Um, but I have, you know, and, and, and the thing that I pride myself on is that I have, I, ha I don't have one year's experience for 40 years. I have 40 years cumulative experience, which is very different. And what I mean by that, it's that I have just paid attention to everything around me over the last 40 years. And what I mean by that is that I look to learn. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. Mm. The, the Titans of Direct Response event was a pinnacle because I was able to bring together people who were my mentors, who were the people that I stand on the shoulders on. Dan Kennedy, Perry Marshall, Joe Sugarman, Jay Abraham. I mean, it was a it was an amazing event. Gary Bensavenga. I don't know if any mm. people know. Hopefully, the people who are listening might know some of them if they don't know me. But it was it was just a spectacular event because it was me standing on the shoulders of giants, and that's what my life has been about for over forty years. And so I spent the first first thirty four running a business called Boardroom Inc., which was a newsletter publisher and book publisher, um, basically rooted in direct mail. Um, there are people who are listening to this say, direct mail, what's that? Mm -hmm. um, direct mail was the, the medium of choice for most people in the, and the medium that scaled the best before the internet. And it's not dead, by the way. It's still very much alive, and I can talk about that during this interview if you like. But, um, but I grew up, you know, cutting my teeth, licking stamps and mailing stuff in, in the mail. And that taught me discipline of marketing. You know, if you're paying postage and printing for everything you do, you have to be, you have to be absolutely sure that before you hit send and hitting send is not hitting a button. It's sending a million pieces of direct mail to a letter shop and giving a go on that the work you need to do and the planning and the discipline you need to have is to get that mail out and make it pay out mm -hmm. is how I cut my teeth. So fast forward to today, um, you know, I don't think while email marketing does not uh, carry postage and printing, it still requires the same kind of discipline. And I can talk about that more if you like as well. But the point, the point I'm making is that I think, in fact, chapter three of my book, Over Deliver, is how paying postage made me a better marketer. It's not about that direct mail is for everybody or direct mail is the only medium people should pay attention to. Absolutely not. In fact, email marketing, email is the killer app today. In addition to all the other media that's available on social media and search and everything else, mm -hmm. uh, Google AdWords. But it's it's basically, um, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the connection uh, of all direct response marketing, and it's all related. Whether you're paying postage and printing in direct mail or whether you're paying no postage and printing for an email, same discipline, same copy, same list creation, same offer creation. It's all the same. So um, so at 34 years at Boardroom, um, I was an equity partner. When I left, I left shortly, the Titans of Direct Response. So the company was run by Marty Edelston, Marty Edelston died in October of 2013. He was my ultimate mentor. Um, he he uh, he guided me through so much at Boardroom. In fact, he had a stroke in 2001, and for the last the, for the next 
12 years of his life, you know, was more about, um, uh, was it 2001 he had a stroke? Wow. When was, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Like, I, now, now it's like the years are just like melding in my head. But, you know, I was basically running, running the business and it was a big business. It was in the mid 2000s, we got up to $157 million. We went, we were in infomercials. One of the speakers at Titans of Direct Response was Greg Ranker, if you recall, from Guthy Ranker. Yeah, the largest infomercial agency at the time, $1.8 billion in revenue. Um, so we became an infomercial um, marketer. We were already in direct mail. We were dabbling on the internet, but you know, 2000, um, you know, with, with e-newsletters and things like that. So um, we were multi-channel, a multi-channel marketer. Marty died in late 2013. I did the event in late 2014. I left boardroom in January of 2015. Um, what was I going to do when I left? I wanted to have a second career, which is something based on something Jay Abraham taught me. And Jay Abraham always said that, you know, if you've done something, you have an obligation to teach it. Um, in fact, he says a moral obligation, you know, how Chase speaks, you know, <laughs> with a lot of adjectives. And so, you know, and I took that to heart. So when I left in January of 2015, I was going to teach all I had done basically. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I did was I created a mastermind, um, high end. I did a descension model. You know, we talk about ascension models of going from, you know, a $15 offer to a to a you know ninety nine dollar offer to a fifteen hundred dollar offer to a twenty thousand dollar offer all of that, I did a descension. It's the advantage of having thirty four years of relationship capital built up that I was able to do that. Plus, the Titans of Direct Response was a great springboard because I did a VIP day where the people who were in the VIP day with me, they basically wanted to work with me, and I said I can't right now. I'm still at boardroom, but when I leave, I'd like to maybe put something together. Put together the Titans Mastermind, a twenty to twenty-five thousand dollar a year group. I had twenty-three members immediately um, on 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 uh, organizing it, and I had a business. That's a five hundred thousand dollar business. So you know, five hundred thousand dollars isn't isn't a mint, but it's a business. Yep. And I could do that by myself with an assistant and some some freelancers. And so I launched the Mastermind, and then since then, over the over the last. Um, eight or nine years, I've developed um, other masterminds. I did the Titans Master Class, which was 11500 a year. Mm-hmm. It's two live events instead of three live events. And then in December of 2019, mm-hmm. I actually created Titans Accelerator, which it was a virtual mastermind. And you'd say, oh, you did that because of COVID. I said, no, I did it before COVID. So you can say I predicted COVID because <laughs> I did it in December of 2019. Um, the first call that I did, the, the, the benefit of that mastermind was monthly live calls with me, with hot seats, with guest speakers, with breakout rooms. Um, and I was going to do one a month. And then March of 2020 came around where the world ended. And so the world ended, but it didn't. And so then I went to weekly calls because I was home and everybody else was home anyway. And it was the power of Zoom, the power of having a virtual mastermind already set up. Um, just, you know, it worked out that way. I mean, you know, I don't know what, what was in the cards that made me, I always, 
but it was all about what Jay Abraham told me. I, you know, you've done it, you want to teach it, and I wanted to teach more people. So instead of just having the, and I had, I had the Titans Mastermind up to 30 mem- 30 companies. So now it's a 600 to $700,000 business. And Titans Accelerator, I got 250 members at, you know, $2,000 each or 1500 at the beginning. And it was, um, I wanted to reach more people to teach them. It was to reach and teach, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we went to weekly calls between March and August of 2020. And I, I didn't promise them weekly calls forever. But after that, I had to go to more than monthly calls. So now that group is 250 members. Um, it's kind of the cornerstone of my business right now. But in addition, I also have the rights to uh, some gems of of um direct response literature yeah absolutely um, do one of them is breakthrough advertising by gene schwartz which i gave away copies at the titans of direct response so i know you have a copy yep um under the bottom line personal boardroom logo um but i took that on i i um i now partner with gene schwartz's wife the people who don't know this book it was written in 1966 by gene schwartz one of the greatest copywriters of all time, one of the greatest human behaviorists of all time, one of the greatest art collectors of all time, an eclectic man who read everything, kind of knew everything, and that's what made him a great copywriter. Those great copywriters need to know everything that's going on around them to be able to be a great copywriter. So I have the rights to that book. We've sold probably close to 15,000 copies since I've had the rights to it. At $125 each, plus we've developed um, a breakthrough advertising boot camp. The book is incredibly dense, so we work people through a boot camp for two weeks to go through the concepts in the book. This is in addition to the mastermind mm-hmm. of the Titans Accelerator Mastermind. So I have the I have the boot camp, um, and then in the boot from the boot camp, my my marketing partner Chris Mason and I decided to create a a a, a companion volume to Breakthrough Advertising or Breakthrough Advertising Mastery, which is a 500-page book. Um, the first half of the book are all the worksheets from the boot camp, so people can do it on their own if they want. The second half of the book are ads that Gene mentions in Breakthrough Advertising throughout the book, the actual ads and mm-hmm. in color. So it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's 500 pages. It's, it's an it's it's one of the, and Chris was the architect of that. And uh, it's been an amazing uh, ride having a franchise of Breakthrough Advertising to continue the work of Gene Schwartz. His wife, Barbara, can't believe him. She has, a, I have a royalty arrangement with her. And she can't believe Gene's popularity now, after he's been dead for all these years, is way more than when he was alive. Although he was famous when he was alive, too. And then in addition to that, I sell, I have my, I, I've written two books, The Advertising Solution with Craig Simpson, which is basically profiling six legends of advertising. Um, David Ogilvie, Claude Hopkins, Robert Collier, um, uh, John Caples, Gary Halbert, and Gene Schwartz. Um, and basically the best of all of them. And then I did my, my, my opus, which is Over Deliver, I published that. In fact, that it, it came out the day after I had a near fatal stroke in April of 2019, which was 
I don't know if it was fitting or not. I don't, I don't get it, but, um, um, and, uh, I'm proud of that book. Um, and then that's created an over deliver. We have, a, I, I do an over deliver boot camp Now I did the first one recently went over really well. It's like, it's the idea of walking through your book so that people can buy it. They don't necessarily have to read it, but that you walk through the concepts with them. Cause you know, I, I realized that, um, People will buy books, but they won't read them, and I'm 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 guilty as charged on that. I mean, you can see my bookshelf. That's 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 only that's that's one fifth of my bookshelf behind me. Uh, is this going to be? A, is this on video? I, I, I forget. Oh yes, 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 yes. So they can see my bookshelf there, and that's one fifth of it. Um, and I'm not proud of the fact that it's a mess, but I have books piled up on the floor as well. So it's it's you know the idea of walking people through a book as a boot camp or as a uh, as Jason Fladlian, who's a great marketer, calls an E class. Um and uh, so I have that too. And everything leads into Titans Accelerator, the breakthrough advertising boot camp, the overlord boot camp. And that's my business in a nutshell now. And I I'm very clear about the fact that I am not a consultant. Um I know that that's one of the themes of this podcast. Yeah. And the reason why I'm I don't call myself a consultant is that when you call yourself a consultant, it just means that you're unemployed usually. And <laughs> I remember when, you know, um, when I started my business and I went out to dinner with people, you know, other couples in the neighborhood, and they'd say, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm a coach and I'm a, a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a marketing, um, I'm a marketing educator and coach. And they said, oh, you're a consultant. He said, I guess. And he said, oh, so you're unemployed, you know? And so, <laughs> my, and, and, you know, I can see that the, 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 the wheels turning in their heads. Oh, you know, Brian's wife's going to have to sell the house and all this. Oh, you know, and it was like, yeah. and I'm not saying consultant is a bad word. It just doesn't do justice for what a consultant can and should be. Um, and, you know, uh, Dan Sullivan, who's the top coach for entrepreneurs in the world, um, and I've been a strategic coach for eight years or so, nine years, and he, he basically says that it's, it's um, management is to the 1980s as coaching is to the 2000s and 2010s and 2020s. And I believe that, you know, coaching is, is what it's all about. I mean, whatever you do. I mean, your business, you told me a little bit about your business, you know, do it yourself or, you know, do, do it, you know, do it with you, do it, mm -hmm. do it yourself or do it, um, or done for you. Yep. Everything is, is coaching. Yeah. And the coaching element is the key part of it. So calling my business a educational and coaching business for marketers, I'm not saying it just sounds better than being a consultant. Um, it's what it is. And consulting to me always had the the connotation of I'm in and I'm out. I'm going to consult, and chances are you're going to mess things up, and then you'll leave. You know. Um, in fact, there's Despair.com, which sells these anti-motivational posters, and um, and the one for consulting is you know um, something like there's more money to be made in adding to the problem than solving, and you know. That's the connotation that consulting gets. I'm not putting it down. Yeah. 
try to like dispel it a little bit and not overuse that term and overuse the terms coaching and education. I that's my career in a nutshell. I I love this for several reasons. Uh, and you, the, the ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. The author of Over Deliver, Over Delivered. Uh, the second thing is that you you really just broke down the business model, and not just the business model, but over time, you're right down to price points, volume, everything, which for the right kind of person who's listening in is already going to be deeply valuable. They're the kind of people who listen to this podcast and they furiously take notes either on paper or digital paper. <laughs> and right. those kinds of folks uh, will love everything that you just shared. Uh, the other thing that I think will stand out to folks is the why uh, behind you doing it. And you didn't quite say it on the recording, but we were talking uh, before we, we hit the record button about just the importance of family to you, you know, and, you know, your daughter becoming engaged, you know, and, you know, trying to, you know, just build a home that's going to allow you to be closer, you know, as a family. And I was curious if you could speak a little bit more around how the coaching, the education and coaching business fits into your life priorities in general. Yeah. Um, first of all, that, I, that's good. I'm glad you mentioned the whole thing about family because, you know, even when I, I mean, I email at least once a week to my, to my list and I even have a problem calling it my list. And I was a list guy in direct mail. I came out of the list business, you know, at boardroom. I was the in-house list manager. I was the person that represented our mailing list to the marketplace. And it was a great list, responsive, all of that. Um, and I have trouble with the word list because to me, a list is my online family. And I constantly call it that even when I'm just mentioning it while I'm writing my blog. So I'm writing my blog and I'm saying, you know, if you're on this list, and then I cross that out and I say, because you're a member of my online family. Mm. And so having that embedded in my head makes you realize that a list is people, lists are people too, right? And having that fundamental as someone, and I'm not bragging here, but, you know, I was mailing, you know, as much as a hundred million pieces of direct mail a year at boardroom in, in our heyday. And in fact, I probably, if I calculated it, I've, I've mailed in my career over one and a half billion pieces of direct mail uh, in my career. So it's not, and I'm not bragging when I say that. I'm saying that to someone who's, who's mailed one and a half billion pieces of direct mail is talking about all of those lists being an online family. It's impractical, clearly. <laughs> Talk about it that way. But just to mention it that way keeps me grounded in a way that you can't get anywhere else. It's sort of like, you know, the marketers that, that use terms like, tripwires. Now, if you don't know, a tripwire is basically a lead magnet. So you have someone, you, you, you give them something, they get it, they give you their email address, and then, you know, you sell them a, a low ticket item or whatever. But the idea of just using that language of a tripwire, you know, I, I had, I did a blog post. I said, um, you know, why would you want to blow up your best customers was the subject line. You know, a tripwire means you go through a tripwire and they, they blow up. Well, if they blow up, they're dead, and then they can't respond to you. 
So it's just the logic of it doesn't make sense to me. Just like ninja tactics doesn't make sense to me. Mm. A ninja is a mercenary, is a murderer. They sneak around. It's like the worst marketers would be ninjas, right? Samurai is a little more honorable. And I did another blog post called Ninjas versus Samurais. Mm. And it just, it, 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 and you say it's, you can say it's semantics, but if you get used to that language, you'll live into it. You will. I mean, everybody knows that. You start using language loosely and you start talking about your list and your herd. And I mean, even Dan Kennedy, he talks about his, the herd. You know, if you're dealing with your customers as a herd, now he's a great marketer, one of the best of all time. Um, but I think it makes you, it can make you sloppy. I'm not saying Dan Kennedy is sloppy, but I'm just saying that. So that's a connection of family to my coaching business in a way. You know that so that my online family is one family, my my immediate family is another family, my my mastermind family is something in between. Because my online family, I just blog to once a week. My my mastermind family is extra special because they're paying me to be part of my family. The, the blog is free. They're paying me something. That's one reason. But the other reason is that I like to eat my own dog food. So if I'm going to if I'm going to look for a Facebook media buyer, I could go to the best one in the world. I know who they are. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather go to someone in my Titans Accelerator mastermind group, hire them, lower price, maybe lower effectiveness to some degree, but I want to give them the shot because they're part of my online family and they're part of my more immediate online family. So, um, and with copy, you know, I, I, did an, I did an email launch for Titans Accelerator. I found a copywriter inside Titans Accelerator to give that gig to, as opposed to finding the best email copywriter for online launches who I happen to know personally outside of the group. So the idea of melding your life with your business, I mean, uh, Marty Edelston, who I mentioned, the founder of Boardroom, I think I mentioned this at Titans of Direct Response. It was definitely mentioned at some point, but on the back of his business card, he has a Zen uh, Buddhist text, and it's on my wall, and if I can read it, I'll read it. This is on the back of his business card. The master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his education and his recreation, his love and his religion. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence in whatever he does, leading others to decide whether he is working or playing. And to him, he is always doing both. Mm. You opened this up to me with all with that question, but yeah. it really is about both. And one more quick thing, and then I see I have a, another question, so I don't want to. I, I do monopolize podcasts. <laughs> I apologize, but um, but the other thing I would add is that the idea of my coaching and what I do, and the whole thing I talked about not being a consultant, being a coach and an educator, is so meaningful to me. And that when I when I had the stroke the day before my book launched. And I woke up in the hospital the next day or two days later, uh, and I realized I was alive. My limbs were working where they weren't working when I went down. Mm. Um, I was obviously blessed and grateful. And I thought about, you know, what would my footprint have been had I died? I mean, and you could easily say it would be my book. My book will live on. 
but it wasn't the book. It was actually the the site where I sell my book. Hmm. I sell it on Amazon, but I have a site, overdeliverbook.com, where you go to that site and it's like all of these amazing bonuses. I mean, I have I have videos from the Titans of Direct Response from Joe Sugarman and, and Greg Renker and and I think Dan Kennedy, but I took six of the 12 presentations from Titans of Direct Response, put them on that site because they're all mentors of mine. Then I, I um, uh, Dan Kennedy, I have a swipe file from Dan Kennedy, another mentor of mine. I have a live event I did with Perry Marshall, another mentor of mine. I um, have 19 keynote presentations from Jay Abraham, another mentor of mine and a mentor of yours. So that would, was my footprint because the site, overdeliverbook.com, was basically honoring my mentors, both alive and dead, um, who I stand on the shoulders of, which I mentioned earlier, and that is my footprint. Hmm. And that was what I came to, and I've written about it in my blog. Um, if you go to briankurtz.net slash blog, I have you know eight years of blogs there, and just go in there and, and put in the search bar, um, uh, uh, the view from below ground. And that was after my stroke and what, how this epiphany came to me of overdeliverbook.com and how, um, that was, and I don't like to use the word legacy because legacy means you're dead. Um, it's a living legacy to my mentors. And I'm not just saying that to be humble and to be, um, self-effacing. I'm doing it because that's how, that's how I work. You know, that's how I, that, and that's how I, that's what makes me tick. And that's going back to your question. That's why I'm rooted in family, both immediate masterminds online. I would say what I heard is that it goes deeper than family. You know, if we were to borrow from Tony Robbins, uh, six basic human needs, uh, like two values that I heard earlier that are really important to you, uh, growth. And so continuing to grow, you know, as a person, and then also, uh, very heavy on contribution. And so, you know, giving back and, uh, contribution is the key word. It's a key word. In fact, when, um, I don't know if you know the landmark forum, I have some familiarity with it. I haven't done it first. It's the reincarnation of S, but they let you go to the bathroom, uh, basically. <laughs> um, that's how I describe it. But I went to the Landmark Forum, and then I went to the advanced course, um, which is four days. And the four-day event, it's like a, it's a, those of you who don't know what it is, it's a personal improvement seminar. Mm. Um, and so the, the, the Landmark Forum is three days, the advanced course is four days. And what they do is on the first day, you get up in front of the group on the advanced course, there's like 75 people in the group as opposed to 150 in the forum. So the advanced course... Is tighter. You can take some notes. You get more in depth with what's going on. And the first day, you kind of declare who you are to the group. And what I declared on the first day is like, it was something like, know everybody, do the right thing. That was my life. Know everybody, do the right thing. And on the last day, you have to go up in front on stage and declare your, your why like your, your opportunity in the world, like why you exist. And it's usually one word. And it's, I, I'm, I just had to chime in on that because my word was contribution. 
and I didn't go into on on the stage. I didn't come up with that in advance. You let the group kind of feed you, and then they tell you whether it's authentic or not. Hmm. And I passed, which was good. And it was like I am the possible. It was like you have to clear your possibility, and I was the possibility of contribution. So it's interesting that you and I even when I t- think about in in over deliver the last chapter which is playing the long game. And I talk about, I think I start the chapter with life is long, which is a quote from Marty Edelson, as opposed to life is short because it's the only one you got. So it might as well make it as long as you can. And then the first line is something like, I hate the word networking. Networking like consulting just has bad connotation. It's got bad juju, you know? And, but if, if to me, it's contributing to connect, that's my form of networking. Um, you have to contribute to others first with no expectation of a return. And whatever you get back is gravy. And you get a lot more back when you have no expectation of a return. Just so happened. So contribution, I, I, had, I, had, a, I had a go for that because you, you nailed it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I receive that fully. And part of the contribution, it sounds like education is one of the chosen vehicles that you've you know, chosen to be able to provide that contribution, which then ties back to just everything that you said about, you know, the over deliver website, because it, you have all that education on there, which will allow you to continue to contribute long after you're here. Right. And so like, that's what I heard. Yeah. Not just a book, you know, 1000% for someone that is listening in and I'll, I'll just build out one of the profiles for you. Let's say they've got a full-time team, 20 people, you know, maybe they're doing you know, about uh, 2 million per year in service-based revenue. Uh, they've maybe done, you know, a hundred K or so in product-based res- revenue, more specifically uh, online courses. Uh, and they're trying to think of like, okay, well, how do I make this transition to generate more like, uh, online course revenue. So maybe it even uh, matches the service-based revenue or surpasses. Where do we even begin? What should we think about? Basically everything that you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be on reruns a little bit, but then I'll expand on it. But it's it's about the coaching. It's about what, what the additive, you can call it upsells, you can call it cross-sells too. But the idea of if you have a course, how can you um, add to that course through consulting. And if you become a personality in your business, which you should always try to achieve that, not become a guru, not become a, you know, I hate the term thought leader. You need to be a results leader. Joe Polish, one of my buddies for over 25 years says, I don't, I don't know. What's a thought leader. Everybody has thoughts, Mm -hmm. but if you're a results leader, that's the key. So if you're a results leader and you have you have case histories of results you produce with your clients, with whoever's used your courses, with whatever has, has used your services, and you become more of a personality, then touching the road, touching you personally, becomes a premium within that business model. It takes a while to get there, but the more that you can arrange your business, and we already talked a little bit about ascension programs and descension programs in terms of price points. But if you've got a basis 
of a business. And you gave me, I think you're going to say if you're a startup, and I'm not a startup guy. You know, I did have a startup business, but I started up after I had 34 years experience. So it's a lot different. And Boardroom, I did not go into it as a startup. I got to Boardroom in 1981. The company was nine years old at the time, but just building. And I helped build it to what it became. But it was not a startup yet at that point. So the fact that you gave me the, 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 you gave me, you know, you gave me some parameters of 20, 20, 20, 20 staff members and $2 million in revenue, some product based businesses. If you're not getting another million dollars out of the cross sell, upsell, and I use that term loosely, of additive businesses in coaching, in done with you. Again, we had this discussion before you hit record about, I, I hate done for you. To me, done for you is never done for you because whatever done for you is for the person doing it versus the client, it's never going to be satisfactory usually. Um, and if it is, God bless you, but I don't want to be in that business. But done with you is fine. And that's the coaching piece. And that also, the fact that done for you sounds like I'll do it for you and then we're done also has a finality to it. Just like do it yourself mm -hmm. has a finality to it. You never want finality. I have a complete chapter in, in, um, in uh, Over Deliver and it's on continuity and LTV, LTV being lifetime value. Everything in your business must, ha must have some kind of renewability. Even, I always use the example of Gora Publishing, which one of the largest independent publishers of financial information in the world. And they do some health stuff and some other things. Um, over a billion dollar business in different silos. Um, they, they, um, they have a model that in some of their silos where they have lifetime, a lifetime subscription. Mm -hmm. So you pay $15,000 and you get a lifetime subscription. But even in that model, there's renewability mm -hmm. because what they do is they added a process, not a processing fee, a maintenance fee of whatever, you know, $199 a year or $99 a year or something that's a continuous billing even on a lifetime subscription. So even in any business, you must, you must, must, must have renewability, continuity, creating lifetime value that continues the relationship because it's always easier, direct marketing rule of thumb, always easier to sell an existing customer than to create a new one. So you have to create new business all the time. But once you have the customer how do you create existing businesses, other uh, um, uh, angles to that existing business, and the best way to do that? And it's it's coaching, uh, it's coaching groups. It's you know even just having a a private Facebook group can create revenue. Um, having a um, a marketplace within the business. Now I don't like taking a commissions on business that takes place within my masterminds. Just not a model that I do, but you could do that too. You could have a group of people that you're coaching and anybody who gets business from anybody else, you get a piece of it. That's passive income and that's legitimate. I don't do that, but it's legitimate. So the idea of thinking of different ways
to work into a service-based model, a product-based model with additional businesses. And, and the additional businesses could be really easy to do. It may just be your time once a month to be on a call that you can charge for because people want a piece of you as opposed to just the, the thing you sold them. Mm. It can be as simple as that. Did I answer the question? You have. There are other pieces uh, to the question that I want to follow up on. And okay. so just to summarize what I've heard so far is it is much easier to sell to an existing audience, people that you have a pre-existing relationship with, especially existing clients, uh, because like the client acquisition cost or the customer acquisition cost is going to be way lower for existing clients versus trying to get new business. And so, Plus they know, hopefully they know, like, and trust you as well. And yeah. the more they know, like, and trust you makes it even more powerful. Mm -hmm. and, and so then following from that should be able to generate at least another million in business. You know, just I hate to put dollar figure on it, but I did. Um, so I'm scared I did. But okay. it, it's clearly, it's clearly, it's it's not just money on the table. It's really powerful money on the table because it continues your mission. It continues your vision. It continues your your stake in the business and in the world. I hate to make it so, you know, um, um, you know, uh, expansive. But yeah, it's it's all it's it's consistent with who you want to be in the world, too. If you if you're if you're if you're really focused on a particular mission or vision for your business, so it's got everything going for it, and you can make more money too. How good is that? A couple ideas that are coming to mind uh, based on that. You know, some of our people are interested in you know uh, being the market leader you know, or really the trusted advisor to their entire market, basically industry leader in their particular category. And of course, education, teaching, you know, coaching positions, what, because you are sharing knowledge, you know, uh, freely. And sometimes, you know, it might be behind a paywall and whatnot. Uh, but in addition to that, the follow-up question that I had for you is, okay, sure, we could grow the business through building the back end, if, you know, as it were. What about strategies for increasing the front end, you know, throughput. Well, assuming you're talking about front end, meaning that's the, the hero offer or the initial offer that gets them into your world. Yes. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Um, that is just direct response marketing 101, maybe 201, where you have to just test all the time. You need to test the 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 timeliness of your offer. Is it is it staying with the times? Do you need to update it? Do you need to revise it in some way? Should you be adding bonuses that that because you might have the, the base offer might still be relevant, but there might be stuff that you could put on the initial offer that'll make it more robust and more timely that would be important. And that's easy to do because you can take them in and out of an offer and you can just test it against the control offer and see if a list responds. That's always should be in the game here. You always want to test aggressively and you want to test big things. Um, I mean, price is a big thing, but the offer is a big thing. And the offer and the premiums, bonuses that you offer um, are, are big things to test in the offer. 
As far as the base offer, if it's out of date, the new and improved, the new revised, I mean, all of this is, there's a lot of stuff in Breakthrough Advertising about how Gene breaks it down into the different subgroups. Um, and there's a lot of literature out there on this topic, so I won't get too deep in the weeds here. But I guess the overall um, answer to your question is to increase the front end. It's about improving the front end with tried and true tactics and strategies, both. Hmm. You know, tactics are important, but strategies of, okay, should the coaching now be part of the initial offer? And should we charge a higher price up front, which then makes the new buyer a higher ticket buyer initially, which helps us on the back end as well? There's all kinds of permutations. But the overall answer to your question, I, I hate to be shortcutting it, but I think the shortcut answer is test. <laughs> test test your offers. Test your pricing. Test everything on a regular basis, but do it in a disciplined way. Do it in A-B splits, you know, meaning that the audience that you're going after is split in a way that you can basically prove that your new offer beats the old offer. And in that, in that regard, a lot of times a single variable test is critical. Whereas if you have, and let me just explain this quickly for people who don't understand it, I'm sure a lot of people do, but the idea is you have an offer. Let's say it's a course with a couple of bonuses, maybe a little coaching on it or whatever for $2,000. Then you want to test something against that with the same offer. But if you either blow it out and basically the test is just changing everything, that's a new test. But if you want to find out, should I still have the coaching in it? Should I still have one element of it? You need to test that one variable in the, sec in, in the test so that you'll know that it's that one variable that made a difference, and then you can create a new control. The control being the winning, the winning promotion for you wherever offer you're offering. I hope I'm not getting too far ahead of myself here. Now, I use the control. Um, but it's so single variable testing still has a place, but most online marketers don't have the patience for that. They just want to test like a whole new offer, which is legitimate. But understand that you're not going to know what exactly the elements were that created the new offer that became the new control. Um, but that's okay, depending on how you run your business and how you want to move your business forward. But there's room for big single variable testing. When you're te If you do a bunch of different things and you change the price, that, that's a tough thing to do. Price should be you know, a single variable test in most cases. But you know, sometimes you can't do a single variable test because you don't have enough names to test. You don't have enough lists available or whatever, but it's important to understand the elements of testing. And I would say, again, the best way to improve your front end is through aggressive testing, multivariable, single variable. Um, yeah. Following up on that, one analogy that I've often shared uh, with my clients is that you know, solving your business problems is like solving a Rubik's cube, you know, and if you've got these different sides of the cube and if, you know, one side might be sales and other sides might be offers and other side might be audience. But if you focus on one side to the exclusion of others, maybe you have a perfect one side, but now the other sides are messed up 
And if you want to solve for the whole thing, you've got to actually consider all of the variables that are like affecting each other. The audience is going to affect the offer. The offer is also going to affect the way that you sell it and so on and so forth. If we had to prioritize uh, something to focus on first, what would you say would be the best place to start? Yeah, th this is in my book under um, list building and RFM, which is chapter four. And it's, it's intended to be the first chapter after I do my first three chapters of preamble um, of originals of, of my over deliver in um, um, original source and why paying postage made me a better marketer. Chapter four is is lists and RFM, and the thing that that I I talk about there is the forty one thirty nine twenty rule, and that's based on a basic rule of thumb in direct response marketing. That was the 40-40-20 rule, mm -hmm. and I made it 41-39-20. And the 40-40-20 rule says that the success of any direct response campaign depends 40% on your list or audience, 40% on the offer you make, and 20% on everything else, including the creative and the messaging. Now, I made it the 41-39-20 rule, and it answers your question exactly, which means the 41% needs to be your list. It needs to be the audience. And the reason I say that is that if you have the perfect list and you have not a perfect offer or a mediocre offer and you have mediocre copy and creative and messaging, you'll still make some sales because the audience is the right audience for what you're selling. You won't get maximum sales, but you get some sales. The opposite is not true. You could have world-class creative and and copy and design with a killer offer going out to an audience that has no interest, you get zero sales. So that's how you determine the offer. It's like the, I call it the three, I've done, I did a launch for Titans Accelerator and I had a video on the three-legged stool of direct marketing and it's list offer copy. And the list has to come first. Audience has to come first. You need to determine the audience. Once you have your list dialed in, then your offer, and I actually have another blog post that I did, which was the list and the creative is the least important, because it's only 20%, right? But it's the least important until it's not. And what I mean by that is that once you have your list and your offer dialed in, the creative and the messaging becomes the most important, because that's the thing that will take you to new heights, because then... If you have the list and offer dialed in, any changes you make, talk about testing, any changes you make to your list selections and your offers will be, you know, good. You'll get 10, 15% lift sometimes. But if you come up with a creative approach from a new copywriter with some different parts of the offer changing, that's going to give you the big lifts. And every test I've done, and I've done a lot of tests, I've done probably over a thousand tests in direct mail. Of every test I've done, the biggest lifts came from a new copywriter with a new approach, with a new format, with new a new exploding copy platform that because the list and the offer were already in place. Mm. They just took it to a whole nother level. And so the difference between a 20% lift in response to a hundred or two hundred percent lift in response ends up being the creative, which is the twenty percent. In, in the 41, 39, 20 uh, rule. So I, 
that's a I think that's a decent explanation of what to do first. But you're right. If you don't get them all right, you won't get to direct marketing nirvana. You're never gonna get there, right? Because it's gonna be you'll be half assed. You know, if your creative is a is a flashing red arrow on a and a, and a flashing red box, say click here, <laughs> you'll get some offers if it's going to the right audience and you've explained the offer in some respect, but you're not gonna get to direct marketing nirvana that way. It, all three things have to be working in tandem. So I'm agreeing with you on the Rubik's Cube that all the faces have to be the same, but the order is very, very important. Absolutely. And I'm not shy about saying that, you know, the the audience, the media you choose, how you select that media is the single most important thing to do first while you're considering the offer, mm. while you're considering the creative, but they need to be done in that order. If the audience is the most important most of the time, how does someone who has an existing list not delude themselves into thinking that, oh, I've got a great list when they actually die? Good question. Um, I think it's important to, if you have a list or an online family of some sort, you need to engage with them all the time and not just selling to them. So, look, there are some people say every every piece of email, everything you do must sell, sell, sell. Mm -hmm. That's one way to do it, and I'm not putting it down. Those people make a lot of money. I don't do it that way. I, 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 I uh, romance my list, which means I'm probably, you know, some people would say I'm the director of sales prevention, but... It's not the same. Um, I do sell in my in my emails, but I usually sell in the PS. I usually sell by innuendo. I usually sell off a story that I'm telling that has value in and of itself. So it's a different marketing style. Um, but I don't assume that everybody on my list is the perfect audience for everything I'm selling. But you can find out who is by engagement. And so the idea of not selling off the top, but asking them questions about the products you're thinking about selling and getting their opinion on it, for example, is one way to do it. You know, we did these uh, questionnaire tests at Boardroom in direct mail to our best customers, asking them what products they might want to buy if we created a new book or a newsletter. And, you know, with blurbs, blurb writing is, is, is an art. With blurbs about what the new product would be. We'd give them six different products, would buy, would not buy, going out to people who bought three and four products from us already. Those are the people you want to you want to constantly be engaged with, and not just on surveys. You want to be engaged with them if you ask them a question. Like I, I, you know, you can sell, if you're selling high ticket, for example, like I, look, I had a $20,000 mastermind, right? And I would. I told the story in a blog um, where I went out to my list and I, I just asked the question about Titans of Direct Response, the event, and I talked about it. This was early in my in my uh, my second career on the Titans marketing, and I got an email from a guy who said, um, "Will you ever do a Titans event again? Hmm. We we ever do another Titans?" The way he said it told me that he was familiar 
with the event. He was being shorthanded about it, which meant he was probably, he could be a player in the industry. You got to return your email, right? <laughs> but he emailed me with that. So I basically said, you know, I, and again, it's interesting that I'm talking about a 10-year anniversary next year, but this came to me like a year after um, Titans of Direct Response. I said, yeah, I'll consider doing another big event, another big Titans event in the future. And I asked him, what do you do that you'll be interested? And then we got into an email correspondence where I found out he was a major player in the area of, of um, website, um, website analysis of your competitors or something like that. Ah, I see. And one thing led to another, and he ended up joining my mastermind at $20,000 because I ended up pitching him one-on-one, which is okay at a $20,000 ticket. Now I use that same philosophy. If someone, if I, if I reach out, if I have in my in my um, in my blog, and I talk about masterminding at a high level, and then I mention Titans Accelerator, which is masterminding at a high level at a low price, um, basically, um, you know, and I, I ask them like, what what models have you have you done? I don't say, you know, join Titans Accelerator. I say that with ES. But I said, what models have you experienced that have been helpful? And then I get people emailing me, telling me I've done this and that. And I say, man, if you've done that, you should definitely join Titans Accelerator. So I get them one-on-one. I see. Yeah. And then they don't all join. But you you got to be willing to go one-on-one with an email to get a a $2,000 sale. Most people won't. A $2,000 sale has become... Something that most online, and let's, I'll be general here, but most online courses and, and like software, a lot of them are $2,000, you know, it's a, it's a price point and, you know, it belittles it because you won't go after the sale with an additional email one-on-one. I would, and not because I need the $2,000. It's because I want to bring people into my world. That's my goal. I don't want to do it for free, so you'll have to pay me. And I might give them a discount to 1800 if there's someone who has engaged with me or someone who bought another product from me, and I'll give them a discount. But it's, it's not like I'll do it for free. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to not beg for the 1800 or the $2,000, but I'm willing to do an email to give them the benefits of it. Most people won't do that. They won't, they won't have that second engagement. Yeah. And I would encourage the second engagement. And I'm, I'm sure that there are people listening to this that, you know, where that $2,000 is not important or $2,000 is important from a, from a, from their revenue and profit standpoint, but also important that they bring this person into the fold. Mm. And, um, so I, I don't know if I answered that question completely, but it's the idea. I think the question was, you have a list, you look at it as homogeneous, no list is homogeneous, no family is homogeneous, right? Yeah. You look at family, they're all people, they're all individuals. The idea is to call out the individuals based on interest that you can get from them through surveys, through engagement, through questions you ask them, and then you go at them one-on-one. 1000%. If I was going to productize what you just shared, I would tell someone to listen to it and listen to the exact verbiage and the flow of the conversation that you had and how you actually qualified 
you know, the email list and sent a message out to them that allowed them to raise their hand basically uh, to then find out if it was going to be someone that was going to be a strong fit for whichever of your offers that you had available at the time. Exactly. And you then noticed that, okay, based on their responses, like they were a qualified fit for one of the higher tier offers, which was the master buying offer. Yeah. Uh, the, the original question was like, how do we know if the list that we have is a quality list or not? However, within the answer that you just gave, there's another, uh, one of the final questions I'll end on because I'm going to be respectful of the time and, you know, just advice that you've been very, very generous with. This is extremely valuable. Um, so thank you um, for doing what. I hope it's been valuable. Oh, it, it, it has. It has. I, I have a bunch of ideas um, percolating in my brain that I want to like detail out and get uh, out of thoughts onto digital paper. And the... Other question is around the ascension model. And so like earlier in this conversation, you spoke about, you know, books and then you, you had, um, uh, in addition to the books, there were like workbooks and guides and companion books as well. Uh, there were, there's also at the higher tier, like there's the mastermind and then there's the group, uh, coaching, uh, programs. Something that I'm curious to get your perspective on is we had Kevin Rogers, a founder of Copy Chief, on a couple episodes ago. Yeah, we went to his event in Nashville. Yeah. He's, he's so much fun. Uh, he's, 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 he just brings together amazing people. I've, I've always appreciated Um, And one of the things that came up in our podcast episode and just with over the 9,000 people that you know he'd helped through Copy Chief already is that he found that for the purposes of growing the community, it was helpful to have like a signature training that people could go through together because then that gave them a common language with which to talk about. And I was curious to get your thoughts on like that approach as well. For him, that's perfect. I mean, because they need to know the terms, the language. For my group, um, because we're kind of, Let's say, you know, getting people into his high-end copy chief, it's not equivalent to Titan's Accelerator, but let's, let's you know, put those on the, basically as the, as the ultimate goal. Um, I, I want people that can come in from a bunch of different angles. So I don't need that, I don't need that base education that he needs, but it's a definite approach that you may need to use if you have a complicated set of things that you want to do with the people once they're in your group. I see. Uh, for me, I can bring them in from breakthrough advertising, whether the book or the or the boot camp or breakthrough advertising mastery, because that tells me they're a student of copywriting mm -hmm. that need going to need marketing. Because yeah. to me, a copywriter without marketing education is writing for food, you know, um, and you don't want to write for food, especially today with AI and chat GPT and all of that. You don't want to be writing for food. You want to be a trusted advisor and to be, and it was always that way. Dan Kennedy used to teach that all the time to copywriters. Don't write for food, be a trusted advisor, be a partner in the business, even more important today. And so anytime, I, if I come in through copywriting, my sales message is, you need marketing. I'll, I'll, I, can I can't teach you how to write copy, 
but I'll teach you how copy works in the in the three-legged stool. From over-deliver bootcamp, now they've got my personal philosophy. So I would say my over-deliver bootcamp is more similar to what Kevin is doing at the base level. Because in over-deliver, I'm talking about even concepts, not just lists, creative, and offers, but I'm talking about lifetime value. I'm talking about continuity. I'm talking about the concept of over-delivering, the concept of contributing to connect and relationship capital. I'm talking about customer service and fulfillment as marketing functions. I didn't get to that. You had mentioned something about all the different things that go into the marketing um, uh, Rubik's Cube, as you were talking about. But customer service and fulfillment are marketing functions, and they have to be addressed. So by doing the over-deliver boot camp, they get all of my language in everything. That's a perfect fit. Breakthrough advertising is not a perfect fit, but I'll make it a perfect fit by letting them know what they're still missing in both cases. But I think that's the key component. What did you get from me in the base level education that you're still missing going forward? And I'm sure Kevin positions that as well because he's got his basic, um, I mean, he's got his free stuff on his blog and his uh, podcast, but then he goes a step further to a basic, a basic membership in Copy Chief, mm. and then he goes to the next level, being one of his coaching clients and then his elite coaching clients. So his ascension model, you know, also starts in the same place as does mine. Yeah. My coaching model starts with introducing myself to my audience on a regular basis, letting them know who I am, what I have to offer. So it's basically that's a universal concept as far as the ascension model from that. Now, remember, I started with a descension model when I started my business, which was $20,000 mastermind, 11500 master class, to, um, I guess, $2,000 uh, virtual mastermind, to $125 books, to $197 boot camps. So I'm, I'm at the, I've gotten to the low end, and now I'm working my way back up. I don't know that I'm going to... My Titans mastermind is no longer. I've just disbanded it after eight years. For all good reasons, but I probably bring it back at some point. Um, but now I can do a big live event next year with the freedom, and anybody can come to that. That's done anything in my world. <laughs> this just came to me as you were sharing all of that, which is your signature training could actually be seen as the books. Breakthrough advertising and over deliver. And so it's like that gives them the common language with which to have conversations yeah. around. And there's just the core concepts that you speak about there, like RFM, for instance. And everybody who's come in and gone through the book, you know, has they're familiar with that concept. Well, actually, get, when they join, you get a welcome package with a signed copy of the book, in addition to some other bonuses. Yeah. Yes, I would say the combinant and breakthrough advertising. Look, I, I am no Gene Schwartz by any means. Um, he was you know, one of a kind of, of a, of a, of a, of a, he's a supreme being of, of a high order. Um, but the concepts are so embedded in everything I'll do. And then over deliver are my interpretation of some of his concepts, um, as well as interpretations of a lot of other people's concepts. I, I haven't invented anything, mm. but my interpretations of other things that have been invented are my interpretations 
with my stories, my examples, my case histories, because those are all mine. But I didn't invent RFM. I didn't invent lifetime value. But my stories that I put on it give a, a, a level of understanding. I mean, I, the, the best emails I get from people who've read my book, when they say, I didn't understand RFN, which is recency frequency monetary. I, I, I never even defined it here on this podcast, but I should, which is basically not a direct marketing rule of thumb, but it's how people behave in the marketplace based on recency of purchase, frequency of purchase, and how much they spend. Can't get into the details now or at the end of the podcast. Yeah. However, what's important is that I didn't invent it, but when I get an email that says to somebody, I knew of RFM, I thought I understood it, but I didn't understand it until you explained it, that, that is the ultimate compliment that I can get because that goes back to how I coached it, how I taught it, how I understood it, and how I made someone else understand it, and being the messenger for concepts that were beyond someone's understanding until I explained it is as satisfying to me as inventing it. Mm. Now, some people don't have that satisfaction. Some do. Um, I think without that satisfaction, you'll always be grasping for something that I have to invent to be to be meaningful in the world. This takes the pressure off, you know, that the, the ability to make it understandable, comprehensible to a new audience, to a new person, to a new student is as is as gratifying to me as if I had invented it. And that keeps me going because otherwise I'd always be in search on the horizon for this big invention, this big new. I mean, the 413920 rule, that's mine, but it's off the 40. 4020 rule. Um, you know, the idea of um, relationship capital and how I interpret it is a concept from Jay Abraham that I took to a different level. The idea of who you're looking for is you is a Dan Sullivan um, uh, concept that I've used in my teaching to make it more understandable and how it relates to lists offered to the three legged stool um, is mine. I didn't invent it. I just interpreted it and made a concept out of it that enabled me to teach it and coach it. It makes perfect sense to me because my background is in academic research, environmental sciences to be specific, two degrees in environmental sciences, and which basically means a whole lot of reading books and abstracts and all sorts of publications and stuff. But scientists are always building on what came before. And if you write anything, you always have to reference what comes before. And, you know, it's when you can add to an existing body of work, sometimes that's better, you know, than even like coming up with an original. Harry Marshall says that everyone should read something that was written before Gutenberg on a regular basis, meaning that before the printing press. Right before stuff was printed, um, and that's just the idea of original source. Uh, that's chapter two of Over Deliver. Chapter two of Over Deliver. I got one of my, I got one of the six one star reviews on Amazon for Over Deliver, out of like I don't know, hundred eighty or something. But I got six one star reviews, which I don't, I don't, I don't, I take them seriously, 
And one of the one-star reviews said that chapter on chapter two on original source was completely repetitive. You know, that I kept on repeating the same things over and over again in different words and different contexts. The guy who was right, I did. Hmm. Probably could have repeated it a little bit less. Um, the fact is he gave it a one-star review without reading the rest of the book. I see. So that was disappointing that he gave me a one-star review for reading that one chapter and just panning it. Um, however, I wasn't apologizing for it because original source is that important. Where babies come from, you know, where, where was the original thought that came that created all the new thinking on top of it? Um, and Perry and Perry and I are, in fact, I did an interview with Perry um, on original source when I launched, I think when I launched my first book, which was the six legends of, of advertising, because that's all about original source too. Because those people did have some originals. I mean, Claude Hopkins had a book called Scientific Advertising written in 1923. There was no direct marketing then. There was no computers. There were no spreadsheets, computerized spreadsheets. There was no Excel. He's talking about the science of advertising, like the idea of maybe the idea that advertising can pay out. That's a that that that's that's prehistoric, right? I mean, personally, I love it because what it it makes a distinction between science and technology. Yeah, science predates uh, technology. Science leads yeah. to technology, but like they they feed off of each other. You know, right. as does engineering, as does math, you know, all the STEM disciplines. Uh, right. We do go so much to them. And and so many of the people that I've worked with tend to come from like a, a STEM or like systems thinking background. There's another question that might be a little bit harder uh, for you. I have like only like three more, and, you know, and then, and then I shall let you be off to save the rest of the world. If you were stuck on a desert island with one dessert for one week, which one would it be and why? A dessert? Yeah. If I wanted to be a little healthier, I'd say watermelon. Hmm. Love watermelon. My favorite fruit. Um, if I wanted, and that counts as dessert, right? I mean, it can be a fruit cup with breakfast yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, because it's, it's got some diversification. So I think that's why I'm choosing it as well. Um, or maybe, or maybe cherries. I like cherries too. So those would be my fruit. Okay. Um, or grapes. Those are my three. Um, the, but watermelon, I think would be my first. As far as a real dessert, either, um, a really good, um, like Jewish deli black and white cookie. Like, I don't think I've had this before. Yeah. yeah. No, because like Jerry Seinfeld, you know, tr the it's the truth is in the cookie, right? Uh, <laughs> okay. Um but yeah, black and white cookie, I think, or um Yeah, I mean I like a lot of desserts, unfortunately. And uh Yeah. I guess I'd stick with those. So then the next one might be a little bit harder or easier. We'll see. If you had to choose chocolate chip cookie 
oatmeal raisin cookie. Yeah, chocolate chip cookies come in so many varieties mm-hmm. that there are some that I wouldn't even wouldn't even deal with, and some that I would take over and oatmeal raisin cookie. I'm copying out a little bit. <laughs> if you know, if it was like a, a soft baked chocolate yeah. chip cookie, I don't really like certain types of crispy chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. But in that respect, I'll, I'll choose oatmeal raisin. That's why I knew we'd get along. Like the every like the. Everyone I've interviewed, it's like 80% chocolate chip. And yeah, I would think oatmeal so. Raisin. But chocolate chip yeah. cookies are not all created equal, whereas most oatmeal raisin cookies are more more close to the same. Mm. You're right. Yeah. Like chewy. Yeah. 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 There are crispy ones too, but there are so many different um, variations of chocolate chip cookies. Hmm. Now, final question, final real question that I have is, if you could go back in time to right after Titans of Direct Response, 2014 event has ended. Looking back now at like these nine years, are there any changes to the business model or anything, any advice you would have given yourself now knowing everything that you know now? I probably would have gotten to the lower ticket price products and focused on them sooner. Although, you know, there's also a theory that says whenever you get to it is the right time because you got to it. Um, but, you know, if I got to them sooner, I think I think my business would have been on a um, on a better foundation. I mean, the fact that I started my business with a $20,000 product basically um, worked. I mean, it's definitely been successful, but it didn't have the foundation. So I had to create the lower levels and I didn't do them as quickly. Um, but I, I haven't been, vul- I thought I'd be vulnerable because of that, but I, I really haven't been uh, as much as I could have been. But I was a little vulnerable to having started with only a $20,000 product. Um, But that's nitpicking. I mean, I I don't think I would have changed too much. I might have, um, I might have also um, gotten to some technology a little faster. Um, I did have someone working with me setting up my email service provider and setting up my um my uh, uh my merchant accounts and all of that could have gotten to that a little faster too um but it was more about the speed but i wasn't in a rush either so i guess that ties in but i think being a little more urgent on some stuff would have been helpful to me today um but you know, I'm doing okay and it's it's fine, but it's it's hard to pinpoint anything beyond that that I would have changed. Mm. You have been so generous and I want to thank you for all of the wisdom that you have shared. I'll be looking forward to going back through this episode like multiple times. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate you.
It is my pleasure. And I am already, I'm calling it from here. I don't know when we need to do it. Another one. I'm just going to throw it there. Uh, maybe like next year or a year after or something like that. And where can the people find out more about you? I mean, the best way is to just, you know, go to my site. It's a, it's a modest site, but it's basically leads with an opt-in to my list. And you get an, you get another hour and a half interview of me with Perry Marshall talking about the three biggest successes of my career, which is how we got in the infomercial business, how we created a book division from other people's content, and how I became basically the best list manager in the industry in the 1980s without bragging about it. It's just that I was better than, the competition wasn't that stiff, let's put it that way, um, but I was the best list manager. So those are the three stories I tell to Perry. So it's an opt-in, and all you have to do is go to briankurtz.net, B-R-I-A-N-K-U-R-T-Z.net. Opt-in, you'll be on my, you'll be part of my online family. You'll get um, the interview. You'll get my weekly blog. Um, that's that's the least, uh, you know, least painless way uh, to get into my world. Um, if you want to buy Overdeliver at overdeliverbook.com. Uh, and get all of those bonuses, buy it there as opposed to buying it at um, just direct on Amazon. Because on the site, you can go to Amazon from the site, but then it'll be bookmarked and you can come back and sign in for the, all these bonuses that I mentioned earlier. And that's the best way to experience the Overdeliver collection. And, um, and you can buy the book on Kindle or you know, the audio version or the hardcover or the soft cover paperback and get all of those bonuses. So BrianKurtz.net, if you don't want to spend any money and just get them, get into my online family, overdeliverbook.com. If you want to splurge for $20 or $25 on a book or even $5 on Kindle or $10 on Kindle, uh, splurge for something to get all the bonuses and become a member of my online family. That's the uh, pricey way to do it. I, again, thank you, and I'll be looking forward to more. Take care, more. Hey, thanks for checking out the show. If you liked it, go ahead and hit the like button, and also subscribe so you don't miss another one. It also tells us which ones that you like the most so that we can then do more interviews like that. If you want to go from idea to implementation, though, especially if you're wanting to productize your expertise so that you can scale your impact on your clients and of course grow your business, then join our email list. There we're going to talk about how modern consultants can productize their expertise so that they can have a greater impact on the world around them and live life on their terms. If that's up your alley, I hope to see you on the other side. Talk soon.